All right, all right, we're on. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us into your presence. It is a true privilege to come before you. Um, We are all priests and go into the Holy of Holies. And what a great honor and privilege that is because of the blood of Christ. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand your word and better understand our relationship with you and better understand uh, what Christ has done for us, is doing for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so chapter 4, relatively long. We're going to read through the whole chapter. And let's see. um, Bill, you want to read today? Nope. You prefer not to. Okay. Uh, Who said that? Okay. All right. There we go. Uh, Let's bring her the mic. We'll let Gina read for a little bit up here, right here. And then you can pass it on to Sandy or Mary, either one. Uh, Read until you get a little tired. And, And then you can move on to the next. And we'll try to read through this whole chapter. Mary may never get tired, but that's okay. <laughs> as long as I can pronounce these words. Oh, you know what? This is my, this is my uh, admonition. Uh, having studied Hebrew and, and uh, understanding the issues with vowels and, and how uh, you know, tenuous some of them are <laughs> in terms of how you pronounce things, um, just sound confident. And if you're wrong... Very few people will know. (laughs) They'll love me anyway, That's right. There you go. (laughs) The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take a census of the Kohite. That's good. See, you're not calm. calm. Just say it. Just move on. Okay. Branch of the Levites by their clans and families. Count all the men from 30 to to 50 years of age who come to serve in the work in the temple of meeting. This is the work of the Kohites in the tent of meeting, the care of the most holy things. When the camp is to move, Aaron and his sons are to go in and take down the shielding curtains and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Then they are to cover this with hides of sea cows, spread of cloth of solid blue over that and put the poles in place. Over the table of the presence, they are to spread a blue cloth and put on it the the plates, dishes, and bowls, and the jars for drink offering. The bread that is continually there is to remain on it. Over these, they are to spread a scarlet cloth, cover that with hides of sea cows, and put its poles in place. They are to take a blue cloth and cover a lampstand that is in the light, together with its lamps, its wick, trimmers, and trays, and all its jars for the oil used to supply it. Then they are to wrap it and all its accessories in a covering of hides of sea cows and put it on a, on a carrying frame. Over the gold altar they are to spread a blue cloth and cover that with hides 
of cows of sea cows and put its poles in place. Then they are to take all the articles used used for ministering in the sanctuary, wrap them in a blue cloth, cover that with hides of sea cows, and put them in a carrying frame. They are to remove the ashes from the bronze altar and spread a purple cloth over over it. Then they are to place it on all the utensils used for ministering at the altar, including the la- the firepans, meat forks, shovels, and sparkling bowls. Uh, over it they are to spread a covering of hides of sea cows and put in its poles in place. After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, the Kohites are to come to do the carrying, but they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, is to have charge of the oil in the light, the fragrant incense, the regular grain offerings, and the anointing oil. He's to be in charge, and the anointing and the tabernacle and everything in it, including its holy furnishings and articles. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, See that the Kohites' tribal clans are not cut off from the Levites, so that they may live and not die when they come near the most holy things. Do this for them. Aaron and his sons are to go into the sanctuary and assign to each man his work and what he is to carry. But the Kohites must not go in to look at the holy things, even for a moment, or they will die. Good job. There you go. <laughs> well, where are we going? Keep going. <laughs> I thought we were done. She was done, but we got to keep going. Who, who, who gets next? <laughs> it's a long chapter. The Lord said to uh, verse twenty one, right? Yeah. Okay. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Take a census of the sons of Gershon also, by their fathers' houses and by their clans, from thirty years old up to fifty years old. You shall list them. All who can come to duty, all who can come to do duty to do service in the tent of meeting. This is the service of the clans of the Gershonites in serving and bearing burdens." They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tent of meeting with its covering and the covering of goat skin that is on top of it and the screen for the entrance of the tent of meeting and the hangings of the court and the screen for the entrance of the gate of the court that is around the tabernacle and the altar and their cords and all the equipment for their service and they shall do all that needs to be done with regard to them. All the service of the sons of the Gershonites shall be at the command of Aaron and his sons in all that they are to carry and in all that they have to do. And you shall assign to their charge all that they are to carry. This is the service of the clans of the sons of the Gershonites in the tent of meeting. And their guard duty is to be under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. As for the sons of Merari, you shall list them by their clans and by their father's houses, from 30 years old to 50 years old. You shall list them, everyone who can come on duty, to do the service of the tent of meeting. 
and this is what they are charged to carry. As the whole of their service in the tent of meeting, the frames of the tabernacle with its bars, pillars, and bases, and the pillars around the court with their bases, pegs, and cords, with all their equipment and all their accessories. And you shall list by name the objects that they are required to carry. This is the service of the clans of the sons of Merari. The whole of their service is in the tent of meeting under the direction of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest. And Moses and Aaron and the chiefs of the congregation listed the sons of the Kohathites by their clans and by their father's houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old, everyone who could come on duty for the service in the tent of meeting. And those listed by clans were 2,750. This was the list of the clans of the Kohathites, all who served in the tent of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron listed according to the commandment of the Lord by Moses. Those listed of the sons of Gershon by their clans in their father's houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old, everyone who could come on duty for, the, for service in the tent of meeting. Those listed by their clans in their father's houses were 2,630. This was the list of clans of the sons of Gershon, all who served in the tent of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron listed according to the commandment of the Lord. Those listed of the clans of the sons of Merari by their clans in their father's houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old, everyone who could come on duty for service in the tent of meeting. Those listed by clans were 3,200. This was the list of the clans of the sons of Merari, whom Moses and Aaron listed according to the commandment of the Lord by Moses. All those who were listed of the Levites whom Moses and Aaron and the chiefs of Israel listed by their clans and their fathers' houses from 30 years old up to 50 years old, everyone who could come to do the service of ministry and the service of bearing burdens in the tent of meeting. Those listed were 8,580. According to the commandment of the Lord, through Moses they were listed, each one with his task of serving or carrying. Thus, they were listed by him as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay. Whew. Thank you, guys. You did a good job. That's a, that's a lot. Uh, and I've just kind of written down a few of the, the, the highlights. But what are th- uh, things that you've just, as you were listening attentively, doing your best to not wander and think about other things, uh, what are some of the details that, that just struck you right off the bat? So your own observations, questions. Yes, Carrie. <laughs> yeah, you, in a big family like that, you would really appreciate that because you got to you got to divide labor, right? Because if you got everybody wanting to do the same thing, it doesn't work that well, all right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Simon. So the connection is rather than just one tribe having all these op- these uh, assignments, it's given to the whole church. 
I mean, I agree with that. I'm just saying that's a, that's a transition that we make. Instead of the holy assignments being for one uh, people, um, yeah, that's a good observation. All right? Okay, it mattered. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, it was a life and death issue. It's good. What's that? <laughs> good. Yes? Hold on one second. Ben, go back here and get the microphone and bring it to Bill. He's got a lot of good things here. I want to make sure it gets on the, on the, on the, we don't want to have to make Kyle keep running around. Thank you, Ben. That's your assignment. Assigned to Ben. Okay. Now, do you know, make sure it's on. Go ahead and just tap the top of it. Okay. Yep, it's good. Go ahead. The precision which he brings out in doing this work. It wasn't just everybody run in and pick up things and start moving. It had to be done in a very orderly manner with precision to protect the most holy items in there and the coverings that were put on them. It was not a Mike Thompson work project. That's it, all I got to say. It was say. not a, uh, <laughs> it wasn't an easy one. Oh, yeah, that's very good. The precision, yes. All right, other I, observations, I Mary? Oh, I'm sorry. I mentioned done. to you last week, the other thing that comes to bear here is that these cloth coverings and animal skin coverings that were used wear out. So... When they are in an encampment, there is an industry set up producing new cloth, new uh, lumber for the columns. They had silver and gold and bronze. So if you had like 8,000 people, you could make use of those people is what you're saying. Yeah, what I'm telling you is (laughs) they would require all of those people and they would be busy. Okay, very good. Mary? What? Here, Ben's coming to you. He's fast, but he's not that fast. Thank you. There were things out of limits that you could not, um, certain clans couldn't look at the most holy things. Yeah, so, the, and we're going to get today, hopefully, this concept of holiness, which is very, it's different than the way we normally think. So, let me just, I'll explain that to well, you. Well, and also that. It, over and over, 30 to 50, 30 to 50. And I guess it had to be that way, but um, it's, it was just repeated so often. Yeah, that's a, that's a big good. And things that, I'm going to go through my list in a minute, but go ahead. Howard's right here, Ben. Yeah, I, uh, all these things are true, but I'm, I'm just stuck on the hides of sea cows. You know, we're out in the desert. So it's like, uh, and actually the ESV uses goat skin, so that's a big question. We'll talk about that in a minute. Thank you, Howard. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let's just kind of go through what I have, and then if, if, you, uh, if it raises more questions or prompts more comments, that's great. Uh, 
the um, Kohathites are given the task of carrying the most holy things. Okay? So, in essence, the, uh, the grade, we'll just call it grades, the grade of holiness that they have is higher than others. But it is not the highest. Right? Because they're the ones that are told that if you even look at the most holy things prior to Aaron and his sons wrapping them and preparing them, you will die. So, so Aaron and his sons have the highest grade of holiness. And again, I stress to you, this does not necessarily mean moral holiness. It's not, if, if you can only think of holiness in terms of moral holiness, it will not make sense to you, okay? So Aaron and his sons have the highest grade of holiness. The Kohathites are, are close behind them. Uh, I find it interesting that even the bread is holy. Like you can't take the bread and say, okay, yeah, that's been sitting there for a week. Let's just throw it out. Like they wrap it up and carry the bread with them to the next place, which is very interesting. I, I just find that. So everything in this sphere, so in, in the, the sphere here, everything in here is of a higher grade of holiness than what's out here. And, and everything that's in here is of the highest grade of holiness. Okay? So you're seeing grades of holiness as you move outward from the center of where God's presence is. Um, so... Uh, there are three colors that are mentioned, uh, and, and Exodus 26 tells us, this is somewhat supplementary here, but Exodus 26 tells us that um, the, there's a blue and a purple and a red that are all interwoven into this first layer, and I have, I have the, the layers, and this is, this is supposedly the inside, and I don't know if the colors are maybe faded or whatever, but if you can see, there's, there's like cherubim, angels, uh, and then there's, there's three different colors here, uh, scarlet, blue, uh, but, but they're not, that's just not real clear on here. I, I couldn't do anything about that. Uh, somebody can make a better silky cloth for me. But, um, and I don't, that doesn't really explain this, but maybe the scarlet refers to blood in some way. You know, uh, the purple probably refers to royalty or kingship. The blue probably refers to the sky. The, uh, much of the, uh, uh, the tabernacle was designed to uh, resemble the Garden of Eden. So it, 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 it's a transition. You were in the Garden originally. You're kicked out of the Garden. Then you have a provisional of God allowing his presence to be on the earth in, via the tabernacle. And then later on we'd say via the church. But then it is foreshadowing the new heavens and the new earth when, when the God's, uh, uh, the new Jerusalem comes down, the, uh, the uh, heavenly throne is here on earth. So that's, it's provisional. That's why it has those colors in it. Uh, it's interesting that the ark, that thing that's in the holiest of holies, that, that gets wrapped in three layers of cloth or, you know, where everything else is pretty much just two layers. But it's trying, again, to show you that this is the most, most, most holy 
because this is where the presence of God is, right? So um, now to, to Howard's question, porpoise skin, sea cows, goat skin, um, we don't know. We really don't know what it was. Uh, they would have had access to uh, porpoise skin as coming up out of Egypt, uh, sea cows, that kind of stuff. But that would then say, how do they keep having that 40 years and it wearing out? Where do they get to resupply it? There's no mention of a miraculous resupply. I think that's probably why some, um, uh, uh, like the ESV translates it, goat skin. Uh, it has to be something that's a hide that will actually repel water. And, and they just have, uh, you know, this, if it was sea cows, they would have, or porpoises, they'd have had to get it out of the Mediterranean. You know, and they're not in the Mediterranean, so go ahead. I'll, I'll just show you where they are. Mediterranean's here. They're here, right? And there's no, like, going back up, back and forth to get it that way uh, that we know of. So go ahead. Uh, microphone. Back to Clay. Just touch that bottom. There you go. Should be good. No, hit it again. Uh-oh, Tanner's coming back into the... There you go. There it is. Like Howard, y'all, you lost me at sea cows. I was wondering where in the world uh, they got a hold of these things. And I just looked up the range of, uh, of sea cows. There's two different versions. There's manatees and dugongs. And dugongs live along the east coast. You looked at that up right here during this class? Oh, oh yeah, my I goodness. <laughs> so uh, dugongs range as far north along the east coast of Africa as up into the Red Sea. Uh, they are not in the Mediterranean, uh, so it's not much of a stretch to say that the Israelites could have seen dugongs at the crossing of the Red Sea. And, they might, and that's where they, you know. Maybe they could have gotten yeah. their hands on some uh, it, it, That's why I think some of them, the, the translators. But the fact is we do not know exactly what these were. Uh, we got to run quickly, so. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> I know. They may not have. They may not have. So that's a good, good point. Um, okay, so uh, 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 the table, the bread of the presence. Uh, it mentions that it is uh, wrapped in scarlet, which I think is interesting because it's the only thing that's wrapped in scarlet, other than the. Uh, the Holy of Holies, um, and it is a certainly a, a symbol of God's presence with his people. I don't know if you know the bread of the pre- presence, but it, there were 12 loaves of bread, and there was 12 representing each of the tribes, so that it was a, it was a continual uh, symbolic reference of God dwelling with his people, so that all of his people, even though the even though only the priests were allowed to go into that place, as they carried the bread in, it was representative that the whole people of God are dwelling in the presence of God. So, and I think it would make sense that that's wrapped in scarlet because that's the blood of Christ kind of thing. So anyway, uh, 
talks about the, the, the lampstand, the altar of gold or incense, and the bronze altar. All those are mentioned. The Kohathites are only allowed to uh, touch these things after they've been covered, and they are using carrying poles. So all through the wilderness, um, these guys, you'll see later in the book of Numbers, they were given carts to put these, their, their items on. But the holiest items, they had to be carried by people. You can imagine how tiring that would be. You know, you might go in shifts of like, a, you, got, you got this 30 minutes, you got this 30 minutes, whatever. But they had a rotation that they were carrying these on poles uh, by humans. So there's a, you, think about the tensions of that. So on the one hand, it is more holy for a people that have been set apart by God and, and made holy for them to carry them, but they have to be careful because if they, they assume too much holiness, then they're going to get zapped as well, right? But if, say, somebody from another tribe just took the pole, they would be out of touch, right? I mean, that would not be good. And later on, when we understand that the ark is on a cart, as David brings it into uh, Israel, that's not a good thing, right? Because it's not supposed to be on a cart. It's supposed to be being carried. And then uh, uh, when Uzzah reaches to grab, uh, he's, he's assuming that he is a, number one, it's not even on poles at this point. He's just reaching out. So so much is being um, ignored in terms of this gradations of holiness as uh, David brings the ark into Jerusalem. You know what, that, that, no, it's, it's a good thought. And those are the kind of thoughts you want. I would, I would say that it's probably um, uh, moves into, uh, what's the type of interpretation? Allegorical interpretation. So, so I, I mean, I, who was it? Tertullian or one of them loved, Origen, I think, loved uh, allegory. Everything was allegory. So we don't want to push it too far. Um, we just know that it certainly creates a separation between the object and the person carrying it. That's the main thing. So, um, okay. Uh, I find it interesting that the oil is holy for the lamp. The incense is holy. Uh, all those kind of things are holy, right? Um, so that, that just helps you to see the grades of holiness. Uh, and then you come to the next level of Ithamar, and the, I mean, the Gershonites, excuse me, and um, they are carrying what? The curtains, the screens, the hangings. So all, everything that's cloth, that's their responsibility. And you can imagine some of this would have been very heavy uh, to carry. And you'll see later on that they are given, um, they're given carts uh, to, to carry them, which is a blessing. Uh, and then the Mararites... Uh, they're doing all the frames and the pillars and the cords that go along with that, the ropes, uh, probably the stake peg, the pegs that go into the ground, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, now, why 30 to 50? Okay, so, yeah, okay, so, uh, first thing that's said is that that is the... Uh, 
the prime or strength? Any other ideas? Yeah, 30 will be the age of, of where you can be a priest, actually. I mean, that's, we get this from here. And I guess the rabbis might have taken the same thing. I don't know if that's, I don't know if there's a scripture saying when you can become a rabbi, but it might have been that. So, any other thoughts? Hmm? Okay, so it could be just maturity that's going on. Yeah, if you want to learn immaturity, go to army boot camp, right? A bunch of 18-year-olds is probably not the most mature place in the world, right? So wait till they're 30, they've gained a little more maturity. That could be a, doesn't, doesn't tell us. I'm going to throw one out that I'm guessing that not one person in this room is thinking about. One of the issues of being in God's presence is that he does not want the curse near to him. Any of the effects of the curse are not to be near. We'll talk about this more as we go along. But um, if you touch a, death per- a dead person, you're, you can't come near. right? If you have a disease that would have been a sign of cursing, not necessarily the cursing on that individual, but just a sign of the curse, period. Uh, God doesn't want that in his presence. You know what? one thing I think he doesn't want in his presence? The sign of aging. Well, you at least start seeing the, age, the, the signs of aging, right? And, and now, now, this is the tension that you need to start feeling. On the one hand, God brought the curse. He's going to remove the curse, right? Uh, there's nothing inherently evil about aging. But there is something that is inherently not right to be in God's presence and show the signs of the curse. Think about when you get to glory. You're going to have a brand new body and no signs of aging. Doesn't mean you won't be, I'm not talking about maturity aging. I even have an idea that maybe some people that die in infancy will actually grow up in in heaven. I don't know if that's right or not, but I do know that there won't be signs of aging in the terms of you getting old and decrepit and not functioning well. Because that's a part of the curse. And that's going to be removed. When you're in his presence, eternally, no signs of the curse. And part of what makes me think this is the study of Leviticus and Numbers, but uh, part of it actually is how angry Jesus gets when he considers um, the death of his beloved Lazarus. He is, he hates it. He even knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He still hates it. It is, it is to him abhorrent that one of his children would be lying decrepit in the grave. See how that's, so there's this idea. So 
But this is a whole different ballgame in trying to think about how God views his holiness. And it, and it helps us to see, number one, that there is a curse. Number two, that that curse is not going to be eternal. Because God has to, in, in saving us, he's going to remove the curse completely. Not just the guilt of the sin, but the curse itself. Go ahead. It, that that it, you know, it's interesting. I'm not even getting into this yet because we won't get into it till later. But um, when they actually do it, they have 25 years instead of 30. There's a change in the under age limit. There's no change in the upper, but there is a change in the under, which is you know. So that's another thing we'll talk about, but later. Go ahead. And they're going to just need people, right? I, I think I very well may think that that's a part of it, just the practicality of we just need people. Yeah, and so it, it, and this will happen later on in, in uh, numbers. You'll see that they drop that, that age from 30 to 25. And you wonder, if is that a temporal drop because of the necessity? And, but see, Scripture's like that. It has all these ideals, but then it just has hard, cold, practical reality as well. So, um, okay. Um, couple big picture observations. A traveling worship center was not convenient. Can you imagine just to have the worship of God taking one of your one twelfth of your people and using them to just handle worship and making the other eleven tribes support that one tribe, so that you can actually have a traveling worship center? I certainly think that that applies to us today, too. Worship is not ever convenient and easy. It takes effort. takes takes people working to make it happen. Um, it's, yeah, anyway. Uh, uh, God meeting with his people means that we should treat God not just with respect, but with an understanding that we're in a sin-cursed place and we're meeting with a God who can't even look upon evil. His eyes are too pure to look upon evil. So that, that bringing those together should be a, a, an, just a wonder to all of us how that can happen see we get to the cross and we think oh christ has collapsed that everything's good so it should now be easy and you know no but i think that we miss out on on something of the the wonder of god's holiness and we miss out on the wonder of being made holy by god so if you just think of yourself as sinful or you just think of yourself as as common uh there's, God has to declare you in the process of going from being, you have like three levels. You have unclean, then you have clean but not really holy, and then you have holy, and even within holiness, there's grades of holiness. So that's, it's a whole different way of thinking about this. 
Uh, so, so I have gradations of holiness. I have six. Outside the camp, the camp with all the tribes, the camp of the Levites, the courtyard, the holy place, and the holy of holies. All those gradations of holiness in Israel. Perfect. Yeah, it's a, that's actually a good. It's, it's a nice. Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> you can get 20 percent of the people to be that active to support the worship. You're doing good, right? Uh, all right. Any other questions on this right now before we move on? No, I would definitely say that, um, that the only way you go from here in the unclean upward is by acts of God's mercy. And in, in the Old Testament, particularly, acts of ceremonial cleansing that represented that God was... Um, Lifting you from here to here to here. Like he, you, you have to have a special declarative statement of God to bring you into this. This is one of the reasons why I think we might have a, a hint of this. That you are only brought into God's presence to worship by a call to worship. You don't just go from here to here to here to here. God brings you into his presence by call. And so he lifts you up and he declares you to be holy so that you can be in his presence with him. That has to be something that God does. You don't do that by yourself. You don't just say, I'm going to clean myself up and get into the holy of holies. Uh, I don't care if you're a Mararite or not. You're, if you start carrying the ark, you're, that's, you just don't do that. God has to bring you into that. And I think that's, that's uh, part of what we're seeing. So every one of those is an act of mercy. Uh, okay, so, trying to help you guys understand holiness. Turn to Leviticus 20, 7 and 8. Leviticus 20, 7 and 8. This, by the way, is my, I, I, you may not have looked in, I know a lot of people don't read the newsletter, but if you do read the newsletter, um, I put in there a bunch of verses that I believe reflect each, the meaning of each book of the Bible. I didn't go through the whole book, but I got up to, I don't know what I got up to, 2 Kings or Chronicles or something like that. So, um, but Leviticus 27 and 8 is my, my memory verse to help me understand and remember what Leviticus is all about. So, um, let's see, Coleman... Grab, get the microphone to Coleman, and let him read Leviticus 20, 7 and 8. Leviticus 20, 7 and 8. 
you have to get it so it's on. Just tap the top. You'll know when it's on. Keep tapping it. Hold, tap and hold the bottom. <laughs> Kyle will get it for us. <laughs> yeah, you hold it until that light comes on, turns green. Ready? Yep. I will also... Oh, start in seven again. So set yourself apart to be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep all my decrees by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord who makes you holy. Okay, that's good. So uh, the word consecrate, set apart, sanctify, those are all the same uh, Hebrew word trying to capture what holiness is. So, look, what do you see in there? You have a responsibility to consecrate yourself, to set yourself apart. To, there's something that you're responsible to do. Uh, and why are you responsible to do that? Because I am the Lord your God, and I am holy. So your responsibility to consecrate yourself, whatever that means, we haven't totally figured that out yet, uh, is because you are in a relationship with God where he is holy and you are next to him. So by being next to God, you must be holy. Okay? I am the Lord your God. Then he says, keep my statutes and do them. So that's, again, about consecrating yourself. Those could be statutes of the Levitical law. That's the most important. Like, you know, follow the sanctification laws, do the sacrifices, you know, do the normal ceremonial keeping it. But it could also be the moral law, you know. I mean, the moral law would also be a part of this, that you shouldn't be like, oh, I'm doing the ceremonial law, but the moral law I can just throw out. I mean, I think that they're both connected in this. God wants you to be holy in your moral stature before him. Um, but then he says, I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Right, So you, your responsibility fits into the larger picture of God saying, uh, Gary, I sanctify you. I make you holy. And as, even there, God doesn't fully dis- describe what that means. He just says, you are holy because you're in a relationship with me. Um, and so God is, is setting them apart. You got a question or comment? Sanctifying us for the first time, yep. But not only Well, we're going to see that that's a part of what God does to set them apart as holy, is using sacrifices to make that occur. So you, you, you kill an animal, and you take the blood of that, and you sprinkle it on you, and that's part of what sanctifies you, Right? So the sacrifices and the sanctity are certainly connected with one another. Um, uh, New Testament, I'll just read these. First Peter repeats Leviticus 20, 
But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So there, Peter takes it clearly as not just um, uh, ceremonial holiness, of course, but he's applying it to what I would call spiritual holiness, which would also include moral holiness, right? I mean, the, the, it's, but it's, it's, it's more, and that's my whole point, it's not that we're denying moral holiness, but we're saying that the picture of holiness is bigger than just moral holiness. There's something that God has done to set you apart to be with him that is going on. Um, the word holy is used more than 600 times in Scripture. Think about that, 600 times. Uh, the word is Kadesh. Um, it can mean separateness, right? Because we can say God is holy because he is separate from his creation. In a sense, God establishes holiness as a non-moral issue by um, singling out the garden as a holy place where he will dwell with his people before sin even approaches. And he also separates one day of the week as holy, even though it's not any less moral than the other days of the week. Right? It's just holy, because this is the place where he's meeting in a special way with his people. Okay? So this idea of separateness is there. Otherness, that God is forever the creator, and we are the created. There's a certain separateness that's going on with, with that, right? Um, uh, sac- the idea of sacredness, uh, something that, um, let's say, we think of like uh, heirlooms as sacred, something that meant a lot to our great-great-grandmother, something that we consider it sacred. It doesn't have a holiness by itself, but because of what it's attached to, someone else's love of it or some memory or something, we consider that sacred. That's kind of what's going on here. It's hallowed, holy. Those are all uh, uh, words that we can use. Um, Psalm 29.2, let's, let's look there. Psalm 29, 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. That's just who he is. Um, Considering him holy is more than just that God is the most moral being in the universe. It is that he is exalted He's of a different grade than the rest of us. That's, that's what we're trying to get at. In Scripture, uh, there, are, there are times when God can make a geographical place holy. You know, we talked about the tabernacle, but what about the burning bush? Right? Um, that's, that's God just, he comes down and he meets, and there he, therefore he says, this place is holy because I'm here. It's an attachment to that which is holy. Uh, The uh, things are holy because God declares them to be holy. The Sabbath day is holy. Israel is holy. 
Uh, visible saints are holy. Uh, I would argue even the children of visible saints are holy because God declares them to be holy. That's just the way it is. Uh, there is a spiritual holiness, right? Because if, if you are the, t- the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, it is like you are that tent, right? You are holy because you are housing the very Spirit of God in you. So you're holy. Um, uh, not just individually holy, but as a whole people holy. So the church is a holy place. God declares her to be holy. Which, by the way, when you're critical of the church and you demean her and think her not important, you are demeaning that which God calls holy. You understand that? It's, it's to be a holy place. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Um, somehow, let's turn to Hebrews 9 for a moment. Hebrews 9. In some ways, we look at this concept of holiness in the Old Testament coming into the New Testament in a contrast way. So Hebrews 9, 8 to 12, by this, meaning the Old Testament system, uh, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifice are offered and cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of the Reformation, when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once into, for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Um, there's one professor at seminary who used to talk about that it's okay to think about God coming down and being present in the worship service, but it's probably more theologically correct to think that when you worship God, you are being lifted up into the heavenlies. God is, you're actually going to the very throne room of God to worship. That's what you're doing. When, when you're called into worship and it's God's people, we're, we're worshiping him corporately. He is lifting us up into his very presence. We're not dealing with a physical temple that represents it. We're going into the reality of this. You are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That kind of mentality uh, is what we're looking at here. Uh, and we have a more perfect high priest and all those kind of things. So... Uh, but you can imagine if it was something that you would have to take very cautiousness to get into these places in the, in the earthly symbols, should we not also feel very uh, uh, reverent towards going into his true holy place? You know, should we not think, ah, and, and go, how do I get in there? Well, Jesus reaches down. This is for young. You come with me. If you're in Christ, 
He's going to lead you into the holiest place. So there's, there's greater access, but I, what I think what we should say is greater access, but no lessening of the concept of holiness. Are you seeing how that's... So God doesn't just say, oh yeah, the Old Testament teaches about holiness, we just throw that out now, you just are comfortable with Christ. It's like we have greater access, but we don't want to lose any of the reverence of what it means to be brought into his presence. That should make you in awe every time he calls you into his presence. All right, I'm going to leave that right now for you. I've got a ton of other verses I could take you through, but we'll just, what kind of questions do you have on trying to, trying to open up, not get rid of moral holiness, but open it up into holiness as being larger than that? Questions or comments? Either I did, I totally lost you, or I did well enough that you all are uh, there. We got a question. Okay, good. That's an excellent question to ask. And so there's a, truth is a ridgeline. Um, there's a reason why um, you can go to God in prayer and have confidence, boldly, Hebrews says, going into his presence. Not always cowering, not always fearful, boldly. But it, but it should be that ridgeline is we always have to be clinging to Christ as we're entering his presence. Don't ever think that you can walk into God's presence just flippantly like you're not leaning on Christ. It's, I know we just say in Jesus' name to our prayers and we just attach that on the end, but it's not insignificant. We are being reminded at every moment the only reason why we can get into God's presence is the blood of Christ and the high priestly prayer as he carries us into the throne room of God. So, so you're right. I, I think that sometimes we could, we could err on the side of just flippancy. On the other side, you don't want to err on the side of Oh, trying to make our New Testament worship like Old Testament worship because we do have greater access in Christ and it is a greater freedom and you want to you um, kind of hold both of those in tension. Now, okay, Carrie, yes. I'll... In our worship, you elders and pastors, like, for example, how holy we need to be and And we train the elders that if there is not a true confession of sin, and I'm not, I'm not holding them that they've always done this, or even I've always done this, but in the pastoral prayer, you should have a confession of sin in the, in the pastoral prayer, so that there's always that, the sense of, I am unworthy to come in your presence. And yet then the assurance, I can because of the blood of Christ. That's an excellent point. So, All right, Bill, quickly, and then I want to just do one thing before we end this. Um, go ahead. 
hallowed be your name is the first prayer we pray in the Lord's Prayer, right? Okay, so in, just take it. We're not going to exegete this. We're, we're actually done. But I just want you to see if you have this understanding of holiness that has to do with the curse, and it's bigger than just moral holiness, then when you get to Numbers 5, and it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel that they be put out of the camp, everyone who is leprous or has a discharge or everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put them out, both male and female. You know, get them out of here. I don't even want to see them. If you don't have a picture of holiness that is more than just moral, then the only way you can understand this is, oh, they must be leprous because of sin. And that's not, or a personal sin. And that's not the point. That is not God's point here. He's just saying that leprosy is a sign of the curse. And he does not want that in his presence. We'll, we'll execute, execute this. All three of the, the situations in Numbers 5 are going to be practical situations of a people that is said to be holy now living in a situation where it's not the ideal situation. And I just want you to think about for a minute. My daughter, Jenny, would never have been allowed into the presence of God. Think about that. I mean, some of these diseases are diseases that you get rid of, but some are not. Just try to imagine over the next week what it would have been like for you to, for your whole life, have to sit on the outside of the camp and never be brought in. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, and we'll, we'll try to flesh this out of how beautiful it is that we live in the time after Christ uh, and the fullness of the revelation of this. But I do think that there is a mercy, a mercy that's even given to those who are outside of the camp. And we'll, we'll talk about that because I think it's very important that um, we don't think that God is truly rejecting those who are outside of the camp. In fact, when Jesus comes and does his ministry, who does he go to? The people on the outside of the camp. He's touching the sick. He's going to them. He's, you know, and who are the ones that don't get? Pharisees who think that they're on the inside and are arrogant about that. So just food for thought for next week. Father, thank you so much for uh, the book of Numbers and the, the fact that you are a holy God and how you could possibly call us holy and declare us that we have a right to come into your presence through the blood of Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, help us to worship you aright um, and, and to uh, seek your face every day. In Jesus' name, amen.